0: This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking, no postage. This is Encounter 203, The Zine Scene 1954, Part 1. This week, we're going to head back in time to 1954. A year that, in a lot of ways, I think represents a turning point in the flying saucer scene here in the United States. We're going to be looking at the year through the lens of four saucer zines or newsletters. and We're going to see mysterious encounters, arguments, feuds, fake feuds, and an entire spectrum of speculation. This is going to be our most epic adventure yet, so much so that it's going to be our first two-part encounter. First is the Apro Bulletin published by the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, which was headed up by Coral Lorenzen, and APRO was one of the major long-lived saucer research organizations that not only emerged in the 50s, but actually survived it in one form or another until the late 1980s. Coral and her husband Jim had been interested in saucers from the very beginning in 1947, and they established APRO in 1952. APRO fashioned itself into a serious saucer research organization, reporting sightings and news in great detail. As an additional bonus, the pages of the APRO Bulletin often included downright weird sightings of creatures that traveled in the saucers, as well as a fairly robust gossip column, and Lorenzen's editorials could... This was the first zine produced by Jim Mosley, who we met in Encounter 104 through his excellent autobiography, and who would be publishing UFO newsletters well into the 21st century. Nexus was the first publication of Mosley's Saucer and Unexplained Celestial Events Research Society, or Saucers for short, and it's an interesting publication. Uh, In its beginnings it was refreshingly irreverent, uh, but at the same time it provided a forum for points of view that were often at odds with the nuts and bolts explanations for Saucers that said they are outer space, space travel vehicles and that's it. And it makes a nice companion piece to the third scene, Ray Barker's Saucerian. We've gone a couple weeks without hearing about or from Barker, so I for one am happy to have him back. One of the things we'll see this week is that the prevalence of feuds within the flying saucer scene, some real and some manufactured for promotional purposes, were a big part of these publications in the beginning. Our final selection is Vimana the newsletter of the Detroit Flying Saucer Club, which released its first issue in October 1954, about three months after the club's founding. It was edited by a Henry Maday. Taken together, these four publications provide a healthy cross-section of flying saucer culture in the U.S. during 1954. This culture ran the gamut from serious investigation to light-hearted speculation, The contactees were very much still a going concern, and not necessarily dismissed out of hand by some saucer enthusiasts. Before we jump into the zines, it would probably be helpful to get a handle on exactly where we are in 1954. Actually, as I was doing the the research for this episode, I realized there's a lot about 1954 that ties in nicely with some of our previous episodes. This year sits sort of in the middle between the massive UFO sighting wave of 1952 and the next big wave in 57, and while U.S. sightings are slightly down, there's increasing numbers of sightings and encounters from other parts of the world starting to become known, especially in South America. Albender has just recently disbanded the International Flying Saucer Bureau, but no one yet really knows why, uh, and it's still a topic of some wild speculation. There's fears there are forces out there that want to silence saucer researchers. Contactee George Adamski has released his first book in which he initially encounters Orthon in the California desert um, and his popularity is on the rise. Other contactees are writing his coattails. Uh, Truman Bethram's book comes out this year as well, for example, and others are speaking to adoring and not-so-adoring crowds. Donald Kehoe who we have not really met yet, but we'll see a lot of in the future, is fast becoming the media's go-to expert on flying saucers, but he hasn't yet gotten involved with a formal flying saucer organization yet. Although, once he does, his organization, NICAP, becomes the dominant saucer research group. In the real world, 1954 saw the launching of the USS Nautilus, the the United States' first nuclear submarine, The U.S. tested a hydrogen bomb in the Pacific. We heard the first mention of the domino theory, the fear that if one nation fell to communism, others would follow. And this fear was in focus, really, when the CIA-engineered a coup against the president of Guatemala happened in 1954, which set off a violent civil war that would last for decades. Senator Joe McCarthy was going after perceived commie infiltration of the army. And by the end of the year, the rest of the Senate would vote to condemn his actions as bringing the Senate into disrepute, which, if you think about it, is quite an accomplishment. This episode and next week's episode are going to be a little heavier on the uh, documents, the primary sources, since that's really what we're focusing on. So in order to save time, and because some of the uh, snippets are quite short, I'm dispensing with the little whooshy, warbly sound before each document for this uh this installment and in next week's. so if you're wondering where that's gone it's not a mistake that was intentional it's a pretty busy year so let's dive in january we start off with the apro bulletin which has a big headline reading attempted landing at quantico a craft had tried to land at the marine corps base in virginia but nothing doing Guards on duty at the base reported seeing a glowing, saucer-shaped object just above the ground, apparently preparing to land, and the armed guards were evidently sent to investigate the incident. Naturally, they were too late to see anything. Thirty minutes too late to be exact. When newsmen asked to question the men involved in the sighting, authorities at the base reported that the men weren't there. Frank Edwards, who picked up the sighting news, commented later, of course they weren't there. They were being questioned by intelligence men not far away. More details on this sighting probably won't be forthcoming, and those few that are probably are due to a laxity in security precautions. Therefore, unless added information comes in before printing time, this bit will have to suffice for the present time. Members in the area observed no mention in the papers. Doing some digging around, it seems that the sighting was on the 31st, not the 21st of December, as Coral indicated. And according to some reports, it landed, actually landed, not just hovered. Further on, in the bulletin's editorial, Lorenzen expresses concern that the Air Force has succeeded in covering up UFO information. In view of what has transpired during the past year, we are inclined to assume that the Air Force has succeeded in censoring saucer news at the wire service level, and that would account to a certain extent for the small amount of news being published of late. That there is a censorship is an opinion held by many interested in the subject, including Donald Kehoe and Frank Edwards. And Lorenzen also lays down some hard truth for some of her members. We do not like to harp or nag, but we must stress that the APRO Bulletin is a publication issued only to members, and we do not approve of the practice of some who pass around their copy for just anyone to read. Anyone who wants saucer news bad enough can join and contribute to the information as members do. There's also some speculation on why APRO has been in the subject of a great deal of media attention, profiles in newspapers, that sort of thing. Lorenzen speculates that, well, it might just be all about her. With a little over a column to dispose of, it might be advantageous to use this extra space to speculate on the possible connotation of the recent unasked for publicity lavished upon this organization and its director by the press. Some members suggested that possibly the Air Force might use the fact that the director is a woman, mother, and ordinary housewife like millions of other women to show that there really is nothing to fear in the saucers. In other words, here is a woman who washes dishes, scrubs floors, cooks, crochets, knits, and what have you that other women do, but is very interested in the saucer mystery and is not in the least hysterical about it. This is very decidedly a compliment from the members who submitted the possibility, and the director is thankful for the consideration that she could be an example. The most exciting part of this January bulletin, and one of the most topical, is Lorenzen's speculation on why Al Bender closed down the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Bender has done a lot of talking. And a great deal of this talking concerning something about which he was supposedly warned to keep his mouth shut is certainly suspicious. Most of the things that Bender has said about his visitors, what they said, etc., has been very contradictory. This, in our minds, indicates something about which he is scared and very regretful. He has said that if he divulged what was told him by his visitors, he would be labeled a traitor. And, if he let anything get out, he could be called something much worse. We wonder, could the name he fears most possibly be Communist? Although this is mostly conjecture, we believe we are finally on the track of the truth. Let's do a little ifing: If the government did a routine investigation of IFSB by chance in connection with something else and found communistic infiltration... This would account for the whole messy situation. We do not believe that Bender would have been party to anything in this category, and if such was the case, he was an unwilling dupe. If a communist or communistic interests wanted to get any information on guided missiles, their speed, and or the U.S. space station program, one of the best methods would be through a saucer group. APRO has been given sightings which were quite evidently of a guided missile category. When this happens, the report is destroyed and never included in the bulletin. Therefore, only those directly connected with headquarters see these reports, and they cannot fall into the hands of anyone with subversive ideas. So, it can be easily seen that the supposed facts of the IFSB affair have been, from beginning to end, Just so much window dressing to cover up something which is not wanted to be public knowledge until some time in the future. Furthermore, it might prove to be very embarrassing to Bender in the event such information did leak out. Also, the people who were using Bender and IFSB just might get wise, cover up, and further proof of their treasury would be forever lost. It's only speculation, dear readers but still the only logical explanation to come out of the available facts to date. Let's all remember this. 1. The government could shut up anyone without giving out any secrets. 2. Bender's claim that he had the big answer is fishy because the Air Force has thought of everything, and it is highly unlikely an amateur in the business such as Bender is could possibly make such a stupendous discovery that it would bring about closing down his outfits such as he claims it did. He could have gone on printing innocuous sightings and no one would have been the wiser. 3. The Un-American Activities Committee is busy tracking down various organizations which are cover-ups for communist activity. Four, let us all remember and cogitate on the number of anti-A-bomb individuals in the saucer business who continually harp about what great injustice is being done by even allowing the thing to be manufactured. They continually preach that this power should be channeled into other activities and not be used for destructive purposes. Communists love this line, and an abolition of A-bomb manufacture could be instituted in this country. It would pave the way for A-bomb attack on the United States and other freedom-loving nations by the Soviet Union and her cohorts. No thanks. The proceeding has about exhausted the available ideas on this subject. We would appreciate comments and ideas from members regarding the affair. Though Bender is a communist dupe. This is a great glimpse at something that too often gets overlooked when dealing with the flying saucer culture of the 1950s. Even in 1954, a generalized fear of communist or Soviet subversion was still very much a part of American political culture. Despite the tales of universal brotherhood told by contactees like Adamski, fear of covert enemy action was present in the flying saucer scene as illustrated by Lorenzen's suspicions of Bender and the IFSB situation. The everywoman aspect of Lorenzen, mentioned in the earlier editorial, is useful here. Most flying saucer devotees of the time, and, and of all times, perhaps, do not really deviate wildly from the norm in their political opinions. Openness to the possibility of life on other planets, furthermore, does not necessarily correlate to political or ideological tolerance. February. In February, Gray Barker's Caesarian magazine published its own survey of the Bender situation. Remember, Barker was actually involved in the IFSB, unlike Lorenzen. This is a couple years before they knew too much about Flying Saucers would be published, so the story is still very fresh at this point. As a person who is closely allied with the organization and as a friend of its director, Albert K. Bender, we do have information which may not be available to most readers and heads of other organizations. At the risk of disappointing you, let us, at the outset, make it clear that we consider ourselves to be greatly uninformed on the matter. Let us also make it clear there is no information we have that is being withheld, that we do not have the supposed answer to the saucer mystery, that we know of no scandals we are keeping secret to protect anyone. Let us state here and now, we do not think Bender is a communist, nor have we seen any indication of any such activity within the IFSB, nor we cannot conceive of communists using it as a front. We believe communists would go crazy trying to keep a flying saucer organization in tow. Barker, later in this issue, concluded his report on the Bender affair with an appeal to saucer fans to keep their feet on the ground. He doesn't, however, hold out much hope that this will happen. We reiterate that flying saucers are real, but that we simply don't know what they are. And our theory is that no one else does, as far as proving it. We also predict that tomorrow we shall again have our head in the stars, and our feet slightly off the ground. Tomorrow we shall believe the three men's story implicitly. Tomorrow we shall imagine that at any moment some dark agency of some secret society will come into our office, or that some green men will abduct us in a saucer, and we shall shudder with an excited and ecstatic expectancy, while the everyday problem of the business worlds vanish, and we again tread golden streets of the planet Pi, which is there only if you look for it, right there in the sky." We shall send out green bulletins with dire warnings. We may even tell you that we have the answer. And this joyful state will continue until some other dark day when we again touch Earth, sit down, and write something like this. I've got to say, it's writing like that and just the imagery and just the way he lays things out that makes Gray Barker just my favorite flying saucer figure ever um, I cannot say that enough and I won't say that enough so if you're you know, not down with Grey Barker, I, I can't help you an awesome feature of these early flying saucer magazines is that they would often include poetry uh, that was sometimes whimsical and humorous about the saucers and other times a little more serious and actually kind of good Reflection by Doris C. Miller What could a flying saucer hold? A man of a different race? A stellar inhabitant who could unfold strange tales of outer space? Did he leave some planet that gave us birth in search of our errant star? What could he hope to find of Earth that he comes searching from afar? Material treasures of minds or man-made, such possessions as Earthmen desire. A response of evil wealth of soul displayed as spirit from spirit strikes fire? Only one answer is very sure, whatever he seeks he will find, for the good and the bad, the obscene and the pure, reflect from within the mind. Pleasure and power and the rose of the meek are all manifested here, and each soul finds wealth that is moved to seek on this or another sphere. Go explore, saucer man, if you will, for a man after your own heart. A palace, a hovel, a cross on a hill. holds somewhere your counterpart. Parker also provided his thoughts on Adamski's first book, written with Desmond Leslie. There's a tone of honesty we get from the book, and we rather believe that Adamski is telling the truth as he sees it. But we receive another coexistent impression that there probably was a flying saucer and an alien life form, but that the interpretation of such stimuli could have been much different if seen from the viewpoint of a different observer. The religious tone of the experience is evidenced by Damsky's remark, quote, "'Yet there was and is an inexpressible joy for the privilege I have been given in glimpsing friends from a world beyond this earth,' And the ecstasy of a visit with one of them. End quote. Evidently, it was an experience of worshipful adoration, much the same as may have happened we feel many times in the past by people who wrote religious works. While his review seems to be a bit of a cop out, it does recognize that Adamski's claims had more in common with religion than with other UFO sightings. Parker also provides some coverage of the various saucer groups, including APRA, which he recommends highly. He includes their requirements for membership. Lorenzen, who heads the nonprofit group, is a 28-year-old housewife who first became interested in saucers in 1947 when she saw her first disc. APRA was founded in January 1952. The organization issues a bulletin about its activities in which saucer information submitted by members is printed. The bulletin also contains information about the investigation and research being done by this organization. Although APRO follows a strict policy which prevents entering subscriptions to non-members, qualifications for membership are not stringent. Quote, Our qualifications are that an individual be sincerely interested, forward any and all information which comes to his attention to headquarters for insertion into the bulletin, A statement of non-communist affiliation must also be signed. Once again, the anti-communist attitude of APRO is apparent. Despite the support of APRO, um, Barker can't resist a not-so-subtle dig at them in the magazine's Wild Rumors column. You'll recall that Lawrenson had claimed that the Air Force has succeeded in censoring Saucer News, quote, at the wire service level. Wild Rumor. The government planned to make a public announcement in December regarding saucers, but decided to put it off until after the Yuletide season. Wild rumor. Greatest concentration of saucers is occurring around areas connected with atomic energy experiments. Wild rumor. U.S. has miscalculated Russia's progress on hydrogen weapons which were in the planning stages earlier than 1950, much earlier than had been thought. Russia is rapidly developing methods of launching these bombs which will endanger the U.S. to an extent hitherto unknown and undreamed of. Boom, boom. Wild rumor. The press is censored regarding saucer news at a wire service level. Wild rumor. The Earth may suffer a drastic change in orbit as soon soon as a result of the growing ice cap at Antarctica, unless world governments cooperate in using atomic power to release some of the weight in the form of icebergs. If the Earth should fall over, it's goodbye, people. March In March, we see the APRO Bulletin veer into some non-saucer territory the headline reading will earth keel from south polar ice cap well this topic burt blurs into the realm of earth changes Laurensen does figure saucers into the equation somewhat a new theory to the effect that unless something is done the earth may become top or bottom whichever pleases most heavy as a result of an overgrowing south polar ice cap and a swiftly diminishing north polar ice cap may be the answer to the query as to the why of the flying saucers. More than once, APRO officers have been told to put more thought into why the saucers are here, rather than their exact identity. Lawrence speculates that this coming cosmic level catastrophe might be the reason that the saucers have been sighted around Earth. In her words, the saucers are here, to, quote, to watch the big show. In news of a much more serious nature than the end of the planet Earth and all destruction of human life, Lawrenson reports in her editorial that she has, once again, become the subject of media attention. A bit of news which may be of interest to the membership is the fact that my picture, a short biography, and details of my work in aerial phenomenon research will appear in the Interesting People section of the American magazine. A half-hour interview by phone and a one-hour session with the photographer was all that was required, and the results should be favorable. I have been informed by the publishers that the feature will appear in the April issue, which will be on the newsstands in the later days of this month. I photograph horribly, and although I am not vain, I wish to warn all of you that it's not as bad as it looks. In the... Grapevine gossip column. The attention is is shocking, I know, once again on the director of Apro. As she explains that contrary to what some have claimed, she and her husband are not making any money off of Apro, but rather that they've sunk a great deal of their own cash into the project. The figure she cites is $524.50, which in 2017 money is about $4700, which let's be honest that's about forty six hundred and fifty dollars more than i would invest in any flying saucer related activity maybe ever in the march grapevine column uh, lorenson also spends some space defending her views on saucer research from those who've attacked her to some mrs lawrence's failure to recognize many purported ufo authorities automatically makes her a radical opportunist is siding with the Air Force. This is completely untrue. Although Mrs. Lorenzen was granted the pleasure of an interview with Wright-Patterson representatives, she does not believe the Air Force's prattle, which she unequivocally stated at the time of the interview. She and other staff members do not believe that the mystery will be solved by casting aside all real scientific knowledge in favor of the pseudo-scientific nonsense which is not logical by our standards, let alone proven to be fact. Before we can deal with UFO, we must have a standard by which to measure such facts as we are able to gather, and it, we have chosen scientific knowledge accumulated by man in the past, must be dependable. When some of the sages of the metaphysical line of thought can arrange a contact with their spacemen, Until they can bring back tangible evidence of their existence, we will continue in our plodding way, examining each bit of minute evidence that we come upon. Stodgy? Yes, but also practical. And we can back up our claims. In this bit of editorializing, it's clear, at least to me, that she's going after the contactees, or the more fringe elements of saucer society. While the process is not yet complete, We're getting a glimpse of what are going to be years in the future, massive divisions within the UFO community, from the nuts and bolts, their classified aircraft or physical spaceships, to the contactee movement, to more spiritualist, ethereal definitions. Those different views are still coexisting at this time, but we're starting to see the divisions. May. In the May issue of the APRO Bulletin, Lawrenson shares her views on where this whole saucer thing might be headed. There is no doubt in my mind, despite the persistent denials of the Air Force to the contrary, that the flying saucer mystery is fast drawing to a conclusion. Increased public interest, the fulfillment of predictions regarding a saucer sighting boom this spring and summer, plus the enlistment of... Noted personages in the press and communications fields in the effort to bring a little truth to the fore all play a great part in the wind-up act. In her May editorial, which is, again, completely out of character, right? Coral follows up on the feature about her in American Magazine. Since American Magazine ran a picture of the director and her husband in their April issue, many more members have been taken into APRO, most of whom are more or less uninitiated as to the ins and outs of the saucer business. Some, however, have come in with a thorough knowledge of what has transpired in the last seven years, some of whom are ardent followers of what we are coming to call cultists. We have always felt that this paper should be kept as impartial as possible, but yet when evidence which points to certain conclusions presents itself, we must bow to a superior force. Evidence has come up which indicates the interplanetary nature of flying saucers, but there has never been one iota of proof that the claims of so many saucer authorities have any basis in fact. No, we are not referring to Donald E. Kehoe, Ed Sullivan, Gerald Hurd, or any of the officials of CSI, a former group of civilians engaged in research on flying saucers and related phenomena. July saw the first issue of Nexus, edited by Jim Mosley, and featuring the writing of some guys we've seen in previous encounters, including Augie Roberts and Dominic Lucchese. At the beginning of the magazine, Mostly, mostly sets out the editorial vision for the whole publication. We feel that flying saucers exist and are probably interplanetary. And we also feel that we are as serious-minded about the subjects as anybody. However, we cannot pursue our interest in saucers with a continued deadpan expression. And for that reason, nexus is particularly slanted for those who, like us, can get a laugh out of a rather serious subject. At times, we will be poking fun at our fellow saucer enthusiasts. Perhaps at times, our humor will even be a little biting and sarcastic. However, it is not our intention to hurt anyone's feelings, and if we do so, it will definitely not be on purpose. Mosley's gossip column gives him an opportunity to poke some fun at APRO, much in the same way that Gray Barker did a few months prior. Wire services are now being discouraged from carrying saucer news, according to several reliable reports we have received. Whatever happened to APRO? We don't hear nearly as much about that club as we used to. Have they, too, been hushed up? Or are they, like old soldiers, merely fading away? In one of the feature articles in this first issue of Nexus, Dominic Lucchese explores the idea of flying saucer occupants being hidden members of ancient lost civilizations. We now arrive at this pertinent question. Does a spaceship have to originate in another world? Not necessarily. It could originate here. We ask again, does it have to originate at this particular time and era? Most people would say... Of course, science has only now approached the probability of space flight, But they have forgotten to consider the previous eras of civilization. Eras when cultures had attained undreamed-of powers, both mental and physical. A time when there was a complete knowledge of the cosmic forces. It is gradually coming to light that the Earth is much older than was previously claimed, and that men existed on it at that time. It is only natural for tremendous cataclysms to destroy most traces of these previous civilizations but the fact remains that actual traces have been found and that descendants of those civilizations are still secretly existing on the earth today retaining all of their previous knowledge and in in an example of the lighter side of the saucer scene that mosley mentioned in his introduction Augie Roberts shares some insight into what it means to embark upon the saucer life. My life before I became interested in the saucers was, I would say, normal, and the same as that of any other fellow of my age. Mainly, these interests consisted of going out with girls, baseball, going out with girls, archery, going out with girls, swimming, going out with girls, etc., etc. I was happy and was enjoying life. To me, a saucer was merely something you put a cup in. Then, without a word of warning it happened, saucers came into my life. Almost everyone who calls or visits me has a top Q secret to tell me. And I have so many top Q secrets in my files that I feel like an agent of some type or another. If anyone would have told me that in a few short years all of this would have happened to me, I would have told them they were nuts. But it was fake. I was told. It had to happen. My name is now listed with the police blotter as the only saucer lunatic in this fair city. I've been investigated so many times that they all know about what I'm planning to do next before I think of doing it. Why was I investigated? Well, if you were called some of the names I was called, you would be investigated too. I have had the honor of being called a damn fool by some of the nicest people you would ever want to meet. One thing about the saucers is that they'll broaden your reading and living habits. Nearly everyone you meet will explain to you where the saucers come from. If you were never interested in yoga, spiritualism, mental telepathy, astral projection, hypnotism, etc., besides a score of normal subjects like rocket ships, astronomy, tape recording letters, etc., then you don't know what you're missing. Some of the above subjects will drive you almost nuts. And my advice to you is this. Don't be an addict like I am. Get out while the getting is good, and while the subject of saucers hasn't gotten too much of a hold of you. But if you must, read on. Okay, that takes us most of the way through the summer, and we will wrap up 1954 next week. We're about halfway through, maybe a little less, but... I think that's a good stopping point. Thanks this week to the Center for UFO Studies, who have a massive archive of UFO publications, sighting reports, and similar items. It's an amazing resource. You can find them at CUFOS.org. You can follow along with us at saucerlife.com and on Twitter at saucerlife, or you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. We'd love your feedback about the show, so please get in touch. And thanks to all of you who have given uh, lots of feedback, suggestions, and compliments over the last couple months. We really appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed using your favorite podcast app or service, please do so. It's the easiest way to ensure you don't miss any of the uh, what we call action here. Uh, sharing and retweeting of links to episodes is also much appreciated. Also this is new this week. Uh, the Saucer Life is now on the Stitcher app and website, so that's another great way to sort of hop right in and stream episodes as they appear. So Stitcher, it's a great app and a great service. Uh, the Saucer Life is a Chizo Media production, as always. And until next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.